This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, where you can meet like-minded people fighting for a new vision of aging. Find out more at carp.ca. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. The U.S. approved the first new drug for Alzheimer's disease in nearly two decades, but it's controversial. I talked with a Canadian investigator involved in the drug trial. And we'll drill down on a study that says humans could live up to 150 years. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. While COVID deaths in long-term care have decreased dramatically here at home, in the United States, those declines have plateaued, according to the AARP. A new analysis by the American Zoomers Group found 800 residents and staff members each month continue to die from the virus, and more than 10,000 residents and staff are becoming newly infected each month. Experts say that limited vaccine uptake among long-term care workers, worker shortages, and the recent relaxation of nursing home restrictions might be causing the plateau. U.S. regulators say a new version of a popular diabetes medicine can be sold as a weight loss drug. The Food and Drug Administration has approved Wigovi, a higher-dose version of the diabetes drug from the Danish company Novo Nordisk. In company-funded studies, participants taking the drug had an average weight loss of 15% and lost steadily for 16 months before plateauing. It's supposed to be used along with exercise and a healthy diet. Queen Elizabeth has marked what would have been her late husband's 100th birthday with the planting of a newly bred rose named after him. The monarch watched as the Duke of Edinburgh rose was planted in the Windsor Castle Gardens to commemorate Prince Philip's centenary. The rose is deep pink with white lines and it was newly bred following Philip's death on April 9th. Canada's oldest person died at 114 this month in Toronto, surrounded by family. This past March 13th, just a few days after her milestone birthday, Phyllis Ridgway received her COVID vaccine at Sunnybrook Health Sciences Centre, calling it a wonderful experience. Phyllis was born in England in 1907, married her late husband Ernie, and made Toronto home with their son. I'm Libby Snymer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. It's being hailed as the first new Alzheimer's treatment in 18 years and the first to slow the progression of the disease. But some experts say there's not enough evidence that aducanumab actually works. Dr. Sharon Cohen, director of the Toronto Memory Program, was a clinical trial investigator in the drug's phase three trial and has a number of patients who are taking it. I reached her in Toronto. 
This is a moment to, to take in and celebrate. We've waited a long time for the next generation of drugs. And it is apparently the first that deals with the disease process. Can you explain that? Yes, for sure. So starting in 1997 uh, and a few years after that, we had the um, uh, coming to market of some symptom treatments for Alzheimer's disease. So these helped symptoms with modest uh, efficacy, but they did not get at the underlying disease pathology. And we know that very early in Alzheimer's disease, there is a sticky protein called amyloid that builds up gradually and damages brain cells and gives rise to other pathologic processes that further damage uh, the brain. And so tackling amyloid, this underlying abnormality that causes Alzheimer's disease, or at least is one of the early features of Alzheimer's disease, uh, has been elusive. We We've now, with aducanumab being approved uh, by the FDA, have the first treatment that tackles the underlying brain changes. This approval by the Food and Drug Administration in the States is extremely controversial, though, and there are a lot of experts, including the agency's Independent Advisory Committee, who say there isn't proof that it works. Yes, it's uh, it's been a very winding road with passionate voices on uh, all sides, and it's unfortunate because this is a milestone moment in Alzheimer's disease when we have a first disease-modifying treatment, something that can slow down the disease, not just treat symptoms, and something that gets at the underlying pathology. So the controversy has arisen at a few points along the way, and I think over time will die out. Normally, uh, the FDA, or, or what would think of as approval by the FDA, would be a, a full approval rather than a conditional approval. However, the clinical benefit was only seen in one group, in one of the studies and not in the other. So the FDA's interpretation in approving uh, aducanumab conditionally is that treating this underlying surrogate marker, amyloid, we call it a biomarker, is very likely to result in clinical improvement, but more study is needed to demonstrate that. And we've seen that with other diseases as well, that real-world evidence then gives us that extra data that we need. What was your involvement in these trials? I was one of the investigators in in one of the phase three programs. So I'm a clinical trialist. I'm an Alzheimer's doctor. Um, I'm involved in multiple trials um, sponsored by multiple uh, companies. Uh, The aducanumab trial was a high-profile trial that we were involved in. So we have patients who were in the pivotal phase three study and who are continuing on aducanumab through a long-term extension study. Um, I have also uh, served on the uh, uh, advisory board steering committee for the aducanumab program. What did you find in your patients and how many patients were on this of your patients? We had 27 patients participate in the phase three program. These individuals were mild in their Alzheimer's disease, and that was characteristic of the entire international cohort of patients enrolled in the Phase three program. So they either had mild cognitive impairment due to Alzheimer's disease or mild Alzheimer's disease dementia. Uh, They were all living at home, functioning fairly well. Those with mild cognitive impairment who comprised 80% of the global cohort and the majority of our patients, many of them were still working, uh, driving, 
shopping, banking, and our experience was that by the 18 months or the end of the trial, they were still doing all of those things. And this is critical to keep people the best they can be to preserve the activities that are important to them, uh, their daily activities. And so this is, is what patients are, are very interested in and their families are interested in. It's not a cure for Alzheimer's disease. Uh, however, if you can keep mild people mild and at home and functioning well, then you have a substantial treatment. How did that compare to a control group or to what usually happens in the course of the disease? Well, we know from the placebo decline in the phase three program that even people at the mild stage or the mild cognitive impairment stage of disease do noticeably decline over a one-year to 18-month period, and and the trial was designed to be an 18-month trial. So we could measure both on cognitive scales, so memory scales, um, on day-to-day function scales, and also on uh, measures of of, uh, psychiatric behavior, be it anxiety or apathy or other psychiatric features, we could measure in the placebo group a steady decline, as predicted with sensitive tools at the early stage of disease. And in the phase three study that uh, showed benefit on all of these measures, functional, cognitive, and neuropsychiatric measures, there was a slowing of decline. So people who were on the active drug at the high dose declined less. One of the main reasons for the controversy is that the other trial, a very similar trial uh, in, in its construct, was negative. And on further inspection of that data, it appears that not as many people in the negative trial were on aducanumab uh, at the highest dose, the recommended dose, for the longest time. So dose and duration of treatment seems to matter quite a bit. So you're a believer? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So where are we at with this in Canada? Well, Health Canada will review the dossier. They will make up their own minds as to whether to approve aducanumab. They um, will decide whether there's a conditional approval or a full approval. I think it's very it's a very hopeful situation for Canadians that there will be a disease modifying drug. I'm I'm feeling fairly confident probably next year. It probably won't go faster than that. The price is fifty six thousand US a year, which is just under sixty eight thousand Canadian. Is that going to be a barrier to getting it listed here? Should it be approved? I think you know, the pricing needs a lot more scrutiny. Most seniors who have Alzheimer's disease rely on public funding for their medications. So we need to make sure that any breakthroughs can be shared uh, equally across the country by Canadians. Dr. Sharon Cohen, thank you so much. Thank you, Libby. Take care of yourself. That was Dr. Sharon Cohen, director of the Toronto Memory Program and a clinical trial investigator for the new Alzheimer's drug just approved by the FDA. I'm Libby Zneimer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. Coming up, what if humans can live to 150? You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, bringing you vital information to boost your health, your finances, and your rights. Find out more at carp.ca. New 
Research suggests there is a hard upper limit to the human lifespan. But according to the study in Nature Communications, it could be as high as 150 years. Dr. Jay Olshansky is a professor at the University of Illinois at Chicago. His work focuses on estimating the upper limits of longevity and what that means for the aging population. What do you make of this new research that we can live, humans can live, up to 150 years? Well, look, I'm going to be brief um, on the answer to this one. It's not going to happen anytime soon. Um, Keep in mind, the world record for human longevity is 122. Uh, This was uh, experienced by Jeanne Calmon, uh, a woman from France who died in 1997. The uh, researchers that came up with, uh, with this study concluded that the maximum lifespan could be anywhere between 120 and 150. So they didn't say it's 150. And it's rather convenient that the observed longest-lived human was somewhere in their range. No coincidence. Um, And besides, you really wouldn't want to live to 150 unless you could retain your cognitive and physical functioning that whole time. So life extension in and of itself isn't really a good idea unless it's accompanied by uh, health extension. To me, there are two sides to this study. On on the one hand, a conclusion is, gee, maybe humans can live to 150, but the other side of it says there's a limit that we're not going to keep adding to our longevity forever. Well, that was the point of the paper. I mean, the, the entire line of reasoning, once you got to the end, was, look, there are limits, uh, and we have to recognize that limits to duration of life exist. Now, does that mean that there's nothing we can do about it? No, of course it, it doesn't. Uh, they also indicated very clearly that um, we, you know research scientists are trying to find a way to slow the biological process of aging, not necessarily with the goal of making us live longer, but with the goal of making us live healthier longer. And I will point out, by the way, that that exact same conclusion, and I mean almost word for word, is the conclusion we came to in an article published in Science in 1990, 31 years ago. So not exactly new. Now, in terms of of actually living to 120, uh, when are we going to start seeing that the way we see people living to 100 now? Well, it depends on who you talk to. So um, if you're, you know, talking to me, of course, um, I don't see it anytime soon. Uh, 120, there have only been a couple of people in history uh, that have ever been documented to have lived that long. There's nothing in medicine and science today that can push out the envelope of survival to that age, and certainly not on a routine basis like we see for people living to 100. Um, So, no, it's certainly not going to happen in this century. Uh, And I know that I I, I actually saw a story that came out, I think it was a week and a half ago, suggesting that half the babies born today would live to 100. That, too, I think is a bit nonsensical. Um, There's no evidence to suggest that that is going to happen. Uh, But don't get me wrong and don't conclude that I'm pessimistic. I just think that the folks that are making these claims are, are getting very good headlines by doing so, but the science isn't there to support it. Uh, That doesn't mean there isn't going to be dramatic changes in aging going forward. It doesn't mean that there won't be aging interventions going forward. There will be. Those are all going to happen. We just don't need to exaggerate or embellish 
uh, what's going on in the world of aging and aging science in order to support work in this area. Just out of curiosity, when in the 20th century we started gaining longevity, would anyone have predicted that we would have as many centenarians as we do? Yes. Um, look, in 1900, life expectancy was somewhere in the 40s, maybe about 50 for women. Uh, but there were people that routinely lived into their 70s, 80s, 90s, and occasionally 100. So it's not like it was a surprise that 100 could be achieved back at the beginning of the 20th century. It had been occurring for hundreds of years. Um, so nothing new there. But there isn't anyone that has ever survived to 150. Um, so, no, it's a totally different game that we're playing today than the one that we played back in the early 20th century. You know, back then we were saving children. Life expectancy rose dramatically. There were shifts in the tail of the survival distribution, so some people did live, live out uh, much longer. But that can be a result of just larger population size. It may or may not have anything to do with advances in medical technology that are that's manufacturing survival time. So, no, even at the beginning of this century, there's nothing that would lead us to believe that 150 is plausible or possible, um, you know, it doesn't, again, it doesn't mean that there aren't going to be aging interventions that can make us live healthier longer, maybe live longer, but 150 is a made-up number, and I'm not um, particularly interested in made-up numbers. You alluded to improvements that we will make. Nonetheless, uh, what's your prediction about uh, something that will happen in the near future? Look, I'm not going to give you a number. Uh, because I don't know that, and nobody else knows it, and nobody can give you a definitive answer. What I can tell you is that clinical trials are already underway that are testing compounds that have the potential to slow the biological aging of humans. This is not theoretical. It's already been done in other species. There is reason to believe it can be accomplished in humans. Um, and do I believe it will happen in the lifetime of most people alive today? The answer is yes, and that's as close as you're going to get to a number from me. When these interventions come online, it will not be a license to adopt an unhealthy lifestyle. You cannot pick up smoking. You cannot uh, become obese. You cannot start using drugs or alcohol in inappropriate ways, thinking that uh, whatever intervention comes online is going to overcome that. No, we still have to adopt healthy lifestyles in order for this to work. Dr. J. Olshansky, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Bye-bye. That was Dr. J. Olshansky, a professor in the School of Public Health at the University of Illinois at Chicago and an expert in longevity. And that brings us to the end of this week's edition of the Zoomer Weekend Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. Zoomer Week in Review is produced by Zeev Hadi, Christine Ross, and Paul Thomas. Technical producer, Justin Eacock. Executive producer, Moses Neimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.